hour, and I was just reflecting on how God has graciously helped me over the years. Uh, some of our teens are with us right now, and just the other day I had an opportunity to speak to the teen group about a very similar matter as what we heard last hour. There was a time in my life when God helped me to really love His Word. Uh, I had the privilege of growing up hearing God's Word all the time, and uh, even being required to study God's Word and memorize God's Word, but there was a time that I remember pretty distinctly when God helped me to love the Bible, and it became almost like my hobby, and I did it because I enjoyed it, not because I had to, and may God help us to come to that point. I was just remembering, for whatever reason, a time years ago I was out visiting, and I was talking to a couple of kids in the front yard of the house, and the mother was inside the house. She was disturbed that I was talking to her kids and she didn't know who I was. She leaned her head out the window and she said, hey, what are you doing? And she saw me then with the Bible there talking to the kids and she said, oh, it's the Bible man. And she left us alone. And I thought, it may be the biggest compliment I've ever been given. It's the Bible man. You could do a lot worse. You could be called a lot worse. The Bible man. Well, I trust we all are going to be Bible men and Bible women. Now we're going back to Psalm 46. <clears throat> we're in the Psalms earlier, the previous hour. Psalm 46 now, please. A couple of years ago, I read a very interesting biography of John Adams. You might recall John Adams as the second president of the United States, but he was a believer. Best we can tell, he had a personal relationship with God and considered himself to be a devout and devoted Christian. And possibly the greatest challenge he ever faced in his presidency as the second president of the United States was there was a very imminent war on the horizon with France. Now, due to the circumstances, France had become upset with the newly formed, newly birthed country, the United States. They were ready to go to war, and it would have been disastrous for our new country. We had just recently finished up a very costly revolutionary war. And now, as a young country, we're seeking to stand on our feet, and it just looked impossible. They tried everything, every method they could think of. They tried diplomacy, they sent ambassadors, they sent conciliatory letters. None of it worked. War was on the horizon once again. And John Adams proposed to the Congress, and indeed to the entire nation, what we need is a day of prayer and fasting and seeking God. As it happens, his vice president was Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was opposed to the idea. Thomas Jefferson wasn't sure there was such a thing as a God. And if there was a God, Thomas Jefferson thought, he certainly doesn't answer people's prayers. We need to keep God out of government. But John Adams stood up before Congress and he said this, and I quote, I call upon Congress to propose to the country a national day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer to seek God. And they did that, May 9th, 1798. The entire nation joined their hearts, prayed to God, and war was averted. The disaster passed. God was found of them when they sought Him with all their heart. And here in Psalm 46, as I study out the background of this psalm, this psalm was written as a song, obviously, at a time of great national distress, the people of God were facing some kind of military conflict, 
Bible scholars differ in their opinions, but they, they were in distress and they turned to God and God heard and God answered and God delivered and God showed them that He would be for them everything that they needed Him to be. Oh, they had heard the stories of how God had delivered in the past, the times of Moses, the times of David, but it's a new day, a new trouble, and they turned to God in time of trouble and He answered. Now I'd like to read the entire psalm. I intend right now to focus only on verse 1. Psalm 46, verse 1 in our preaching. But let's read the entire psalm, even though I have some comments, and I hope they're helpful. You just cannot improve upon this Bible text. You follow along and I'll read it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, Will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof? Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early... The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. In a time of trouble, these people were facing disaster. They turned to God and they found out who God is. And they found out how much God cares. And they experienced God in a new and a fresh way. And they were, they were able to say, God is our God. Even today, I understand, devout Jewish people will sing this very hymn, this very psalm, as a prayer to God for peace worldwide. You may know that Martin Luther took this text as an inspiration and he wrote out a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Or I'm sorry, How Firm a Foundation. How Firm a Foundation. And uh, what I'm trying to draw your attention to this morning is simply this. You've read the biographies. You know that God was mighty on somebody else's behalf. You've heard from your parents and your preachers that God has answered their prayers. You know all about God here in Bible college. But do you know God? Is He your God? God will be to you everything that you need Him to be if you will let Him. And there must be a time in your life 
when you find out that God is your God, not just the God that you heard somebody else talking about. He's your God. He cares about you. He answers your prayers and you know him, not just about him. One commentator says about my text here, Psalm 46, verse 1, he says this, quote, This congregation begins singing a general declaration of that which God is to them. What is God to you? What is God to you? He continues and he says, This declaration is the result of their experience. How true that is. Look at this text, Psalm 46, verse 1. This is not theology purely. This is experience that they're describing. God is our refuge. He is our strength. God is a very present help in trouble. We know that. We've experienced it. And the message is pretty simple and straightforward. We'll just look at the verse. Psalm 46, verse 1. We'll talk through the verse and what it means, and most importantly, what it means to you and me. We know who God is. We've heard about him. Do you know God? Is he your God? Point number one, God is our refuge. <clears throat> God is our refuge. The word refuge is fascinating. It's picturesque. The word is just as much an action as it is a place. When you hear the word refuge, what do you picture? Most likely a place, something like a castle, a fortress, a place of safety. And that's very true, that's what a refuge is in this text. But let me say it again, it is just as much an action as it is a place. You might know the English word fugitive. One who flees, a refuge is the place you flee to. The word is actually built upon fleeing. You say that's very interesting and very technical. You sound like a college teacher. What does it have to do to me, with me? Let me tell you. God is a refuge, regardless of what you do about it. God is a refuge, regardless whether or not you respond. But he is only your refuge when you run to him. And so many saints, men and women of Bygone ages, we read about that he was their shelter in a time of storm. And he can be yours if you will run to him. I think about those Old Testament cities of refuge. If you were in trouble, you could run there and be safe. A place of safety where no one can touch you. I think about when I was a kid, we used to play games of tag. And sometimes we would identify something like a flagpole or a tree. And it was the base. And if you could run fast enough and just grab hold of that base, you were safe. Nobody could touch you. Think about you all playing softball and you slide into home base and just as soon as you touch that plate, the other team can't touch you because the umpire said, you're safe. And if you run to God, he will be your refuge. But you have to run to him, you see. And we're too busy sometimes trying to struggle through life on our own. We forget God. We forget he can be and should be our refuge, our high fortress in this psalm. Uh, we are untouchable to the enemy. We are untouchable by Satan's fiery darts when we run to him. Now listen carefully to me. We all run. We all run in times of trouble. The question is, what do you run to? After a difficult day, what do you run to? 
When times are tough and you need a break, what do you run to? People have their coping mechanisms. What is your coping mechanism? What do you turn to for feelings of comfort, to feel better when times are tough? Let me just say, if you're not running to God, you're not running to a refuge at all. God himself is our refuge. It's fun to watch kids grow up. They go through these stages. They want to try to learn things on their own and do things on their own. They, they grow older. They become more and more independent. It's funny sometimes. You take the kids to the park and they don't want any help. Do you want me to help you with the swings? No, no, I can do it. Do you want me to help you with the bike? No, no, I can do it. And off they go, blissfully independent. And as far as you can tell by watching them, they don't have any parents there at all. They just want to pretend they can do it all on their own until disaster strikes and they're in a time of trouble. They fall off the bike, they fall off the swings, and you can literally see it in their face. Immediately, they look for mom, they look for dad, and they run. They run to mommy, run to daddy, they run to a place of refuge, and they go from being blissfully independent to happily dependent. And we're living in, a, in an age where the spirit of the age is independence. You try harder. You do better. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You blaze your own trail. Question authority. Figure it out on your own. But Christian people are happily dependent upon God, our refuge. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. God is our refuge in a time of trouble. Number two, God is our strength. He can be our refuge if we remember to run to him. He can be our strength if only we will rely upon him. The word strength here is nothing surprising. It's exactly what you would think. It's strength or might or power. What is surprising is the phrasing. The scripture does not say... In a time of trouble, God helps us by his strength. Or alternatively, in a time of trouble, God stops by and loans us a bit of his strength. The scripture says God himself is our strength. As if his strength is our very own. When you look in the mirror and you see your own weakness, and when God allows you uh, as years pass to understand more and more confidently that you have nothing and you are nothing and you can do nothing without him. And when you remember the words of Jesus who told us, without me, ye can do nothing. And when that thought is heavy upon your mind and you see your own weakness, you can also see God as your strength. Let me read you what one commentator said about this text. It's not as if God allows us to borrow his strength uh, Barnes says this, we may rely on his strength as if it were our very own. We may feel as safe in his strength as though we had that strength ourselves. We may make it the basis of our confidence as really as though the strength resided in our own arm. But my friends, this morning what I'm talking about is you need to rely upon him personally. Is God your God? Is he your strength? Is it personal to you? 
Now let's turn over to Psalm 18, please. And what I want you to see here is very similar language, but I want you to see how personal this psalm is. Psalm 18. Psalm 18, verse 2. Very similar language, but what I want to draw your attention to is not the analogies and the metaphors. What I want you to see is how personal it is. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation and my high tower. And I'm afraid some students here this morning are thinking about God in these terms. The Lord is a rock, and I have heard that he is a fortress, and I believe he has delivered some. I'm pretty sure he is God. I read it in my theology book. You know about God, and you've heard about God's deliverance. Is it personal to you? Could you write that scripture out word for word as your testimony? Wouldn't that make a beautiful epitaph at the end of your life? Could people remember you honestly in those terms? The Lord was personal to her, to him. God is our strength, but you see it requires intentional dependence, intentional reliance. Oh, he is just as strong as you like. He is is everywhere present. He is omnipotent. We know that about him, but is he your strength personally? Is he your God? Does he intervene on your behalf? You've read stories of other Christian men and women and how God has intervened on their behalf. Do you have any stories to tell? Do you have any testimonies? Now I'll just share this in passing. What's most encouraging to me is when God answers the little prayers. I don't know exactly what a little prayer is or what a medium prayer is or what a big prayer is, but maybe you understand what I mean. When God answers prayers about the little things, it's so encouraging. I recall one time I really needed duct tape. I'm not even joking. I really needed duct tape. I had no way to get it. I prayed about it. And somebody came along and gave me duct tape. You say, that's extremely silly. It might be. But the scripture says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. I did my part. I cast my burden upon the Lord. It's not my fault that he sustained me. He just kept his word, that's all. I pulled into a parking lot the nature of the circumstances, I needed a parking space right now. As soon as I pulled into the parking lot, I saw I was in trouble. It was a big parking lot, but no exaggeration, it was packed from end to end, from sea to shining sea. There was nothing but cars, not an empty space there. And I pulled into that parking lot, and there was nothing I could do about it but pray. I said, Lord, you know I need a parking space, and I need it now. And as I turned around that aisle, I looked, and there was a parking space right in the front, right by the door where I needed to be. And I looked again, and it was a sea of cars, except for that one spot. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to hear people tell stories about, I needed $5 million, and I prayed about it, and God gave me $5 million. It's encouraging to hear those kind of stories, but I tell you what encourages me even more is when God answers my little prayers. 
and you need to have something to pass on to your kids. When that time comes in just a couple of years and you're leading a family, your kids need to know God cares about the little things. It was just a few weeks ago. I had my kids in the car. We were trying to take care of some business at the library. It was very frustrating. We had tried two times up to that point, and now we're going to try a third time. And the kid said, we should pray about it, Daddy. I said, that's a good idea. Let's pray about it. We were there at the front door. We prayed about it. I went in. And what before had been a big frustration took literally less than a minute. And I walked right out. And I got back in the car, and I said, you won't believe it. It's all done. It's not that far from now, my friends, that you're going to be leading a family. You're going to be leading a ministry. What are you going to talk to them about if God is not your God? God is a refuge. Oh, he is. Nothing you can do about it. We'll change it, but he won't be your refuge until you run. God is oh, infinitely strong. But is he your strength? We need to run to him. We need to rely upon him. We need to cast our dependence upon him. I'll share this story. You might have heard it before. I remember this situation very distinctly. One of my sons was struggling with his shoes. He was at this point where he was trying to learn to tie shoelaces, but it just wasn't working. And he was struggling to put on his shoes one day. I just vividly remember this for some reason. And the laces were giving him all kinds of fits. And I said, would you like me to do that? He said, no, Daddy, I can do it. I said, okay. So I stood there and I watched and he struggled. And I just stood there and I waited and he struggled. And I did not leave him. I did not abandon him. I was right there. But after a couple of minutes of struggling with these laces, he looked up and he said, Daddy, can you do it? And you know I could. I'm happy to report to you I tied those laces so fast. Did not tax my strength, did not tax my skill. It was done as soon as he asked. As soon as he asked, it was as if my strength was his own. Oh, those laces were tied when he asked. And I just have to wonder how often God the Father is looking down at me from heaven and watching me struggle and saying, would you like me to do that? And I say, no, no, I'll handle it. And I carry on and I struggle and I fail, and then I look up. God, can you do it? God can be our strength. God can be our refuge. And the final point, a very present help. A very present help in time of trouble. Now this phrase, very present help, is fascinating. It intrigues me. It's, it's the most interesting phrase to me in this whole text. A very present help. Because I wonder to myself, what exactly does very present mean? I'm familiar with present and I'm familiar with absent. What is very present? I'm a teacher. I've seen a lot of attendance sheets. There's maybe some attendance monitors in here right now. Usually there's an option for present and there's an option for absent. But there's not a third column that says very present. What is very present? Let me ask you this. Do you think I've ever had any students in the classroom who were very present? Okay. 
Do you think I've ever had any students in the classroom who were present but only just? <laughs> just barely. They were present technically. They were there in body. We don't know about their mind. <laughs> well, they were present but not very. Oh, yeah, the fellow who slips in at 7.59 and 59 seconds. You know this guy. You've seen this guy. <laughs> He's present. Just barely. Not very. And he's not quite sure what page we're on. And when the teacher calls on him to answer a question, he says, hey, what? <laughs> he's not very present. But sometimes I have students who are very present. And these students are a pleasure. They take initiative. They're there early. They're prepared. When a question is asked, they're eager. Okay. God is very present in our time of trouble. This phrase here is fascinating. I remember studying this phrase years ago in a Hebrew course in the seminary. And it's an interesting grammatical feature. Kind of hard to translate into English. But it's, it's basically like this. In times of trouble, God greatly allows himself to be found. I'm going to say that one more time. You might think it's just grammar, but believe me, in the Bible, grammar is important. In times of trouble, God greatly allows himself to be found. Now think about that. God allows himself to be found. He does not force his attentions upon you. He does not force his help upon you. He does not say, I will drag you kicking and screaming into victory, whether you like it or not. But he greatly allows himself to be found. Oh, he's right there. You're going through a time of trouble, he's right there. The waves are rolling over your head, you feel like you're drowning, his hand is right there, you just have to grab it. You're going through a tough day, he's right by your shoulder saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I will help you. Just turn to me. He allows himself to be found very greatly. So will you? Will you seek him? Always oh, right there. He won't force his hand or his help upon you, but he's right there, so eager to help if you will just turn to him. And this final thought, it is in the time of trouble, as the verse says, that we find God most near and most real. He is a very present help when? In time of trouble. It is in the darkest days that God helps us most, that we learn who he is most. We learn his character, his power, his nature, and his care for us. In time of trouble is the time that we learn who God really is when we learn whether or not he is our God. And there's a certain kind of Christian maturity that even begins to welcome the times of trouble because you know that's when you're going to meet God. He is very present in time of trouble. Second Chronicles chapter 15, I'm going to turn to it. This is a story of a great battle that the people of God faced. They were surrounded by one million men, and King Asa said, I don't know what to do, I'll turn to God. He said, God, it doesn't matter to you. You can save by a few, you can save by many, but we rest on thee. And in thy name we go. God delivered them. And then 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. The prophet said, The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. Listen carefully. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now I'm looking at verse 4, same chapter. But when they in their trouble 
did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. That sounds so very like what we've just been studying a minute ago. And now, later on in the chapter, verse 15, Judah rejoiced at the oath, the covenant they had made, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their whole desire, and he was found of them. And the Lord gave them rest round about. What would it be like here at Baptist College of Ministry this semester if we could say, and all BCM rejoiced at the covenant, the oath they made. All of them had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And what happened there at BCM? He was found of them. And the Lord gave them rest round about. I have a quote here from George Mueller. If I asked you, hey, name me a man of faith outside of the Bible, I think many of you at the top of your mind would think of George Mueller, a man who prayed in millions in support of his ministry, a man who committed never to tell anybody about his needs. He would only tell God. What a man of faith. And George Mueller said this, quote, the only way to know strong faith is... I'll stop right there. What if you could set George Mueller down and speak to him and say, Mr. Mueller, what is the way to develop strong faith? Would you be interested in hearing what he had to say? And he's speaking to us today, and he's saying exactly this. I, I found the answer. I found the secret. The only way to know strong faith is... What? To endure great trials. I have learned my faith by standing firm through severe testings. So it is in the time of trouble that God is very present. And if we will remember him and reach out to him, he is there. He is eager to hear. He is eager to answer. He is eager to help. But do you remember him? Or do you struggle through? He is a refuge. If you will run to him, he will be your refuge. He is strength. If you rely on him, he will be your strength to you today. In the classroom, in the dormitory, back in your own home, God can be to you all of these things and more if you will let him. You don't have to satisfy yourself with hearing stories about George Mueller. God can be your God. I recall a time years ago, it was the time I bought my first house. 20 years ago, it was 2003. And wasn't even married at the time, but I was about to be, had a lot of expenses. And I've been focused a lot on, on trying to organize things and organize finances by this house. And um, I discovered something interesting. Do you know when you buy your first home, there's an awful lot of stuff that you have to put into the home? I did not think about that. Well, I bought the house and I was happy about it, but it was empty. I had no furniture. I had no microwave oven. I did not even have a garden hose. I had a house, though. Well, I also had a prayer list. And it's interesting. <clears throat> the number of answers to prayer that I saw in that whole process. God sent me a garden hose. I mentioned that because that was one of the answers to prayer. God sent me a microwave oven. 
And God sent me a set of silverware. But the most interesting story that I remember from that whole deal was the shop broom. That was on the list, a shop broom. You know what a shop broom is? It's not a little kitchen broom, it's, a, it's for the shop. It's what you're going to use out in the shop or the garage or the driveway. Well, I had a garage and I had a driveway. I did not have a shop broom, so I needed one. Well, I wasn't that concerned about it. I had other things to think about, but it was on the list. One Sunday afternoon, I was here at the church, middle of the afternoon, and it was very quiet. I don't remember exactly what I was working on or why I was here, but at one point, I walked across the parking lot in the middle of the Sunday afternoon. Nobody else was around, but just at that time, a hatchback car pulled into the parking lot, stopped right next to me, and a man jumped out, and he said, Hey, do you need a shop broom? I had never seen this guy before in my life. I've never seen him since. I was shocked. I did not know what to think. I was looking around like this. It was just as quiet as could be everywhere else, except for this fellow standing next to me saying, do you want a shop broom? It was surreal. I had to pinch myself. Am I dreaming? I said, sure. He opened up his hatchback of his car, and there he had laid out a bunch of shop brooms, brand new. He said, these are great shop brooms. I'm just trying to get rid of them. Look, they're commercial grade. They're contractor quality. And he, he was right. They look pretty good. Much better than you could buy at the department store. I took a look. Yeah, that's true. He said, I'm just trying to get rid of them. I'll sell you one for $10. And I thought, that, that sounds like a pretty good deal, actually. You know, it seemed like a good price. It seemed like a good quality broom. But then I thought, what is going on? And also, it was Sunday afternoon. I don't know about you. I make a habit of not trying to buy things on a Sunday. It's, that's what I do. And that thought was in my mind, plus the, the, just, just the general weirdness of it. <laughs> and I said, no, no, you know, you know what, that's all right. I, I'd rather not. And this guy said, okay, okay, okay. I'll tell you what, $10, that's too much for you? Okay, no problem. $5, he said. Here's a shop broom. $5. And I thought, this is crazy. It is a good shop broom. I mean, $5, sure, that's nothing. That's a steal. Yeah, I, I need a shop broom, but again, this is really weird. And again, it's Sunday. I don't buy things on Sunday. And so I said, all right, I, you know, I appreciate it. I really appreciate you, but um, no, no thanks. And this guy got upset. He got angry. He said, okay, okay, fine, he said. And he threw the shop broom at me, and he said, you keep it. And he slammed his hatchback and he drove out. <laughs> the man was right. That was a great shop room. I had that thing for years. And every time I used it, literally every single time I used it, I thought, God gave me this shop room. Is God your God? Does he care about you? Have you come to a time in your life when you can say, well, I've I've heard a lot about him, but he is my refuge, and he is my strength. He is very present when I'm in trouble. I know because I've experienced it. Some here are stiff-arming God still. You just don't want God 
ordering your life. And you're pushing him away and you're pushing his messengers and his ministers away. He is not your God. Some here are just too busy. Your life is too noisy. You can't hear him knocking. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Isn't anybody listening? But you got too much going on. You can't hear his knock. He is not your God. Some here are still trying to struggle through on your own. You still think you can make it. You can rely on your own understanding. But the arm of flesh will fail you. And God is not your God. I'm telling you, he is a refuge. He will be everything to you that you need him to be. He is strength. He is very present, but you have to run to him. You have to rely upon him. You have to make the choice. It's going to be all him. None of me. He will be my God. I will prove him to be so. Now let's bow our heads together for prayer. We'll take a moment here as we reflect on this good text.